0: morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Matt, and I'm excited to be with you this morning. Uh, I want to say a big thank you to the worship team that helped lead us before God in praising him in song today. I made a pledge that I would not sing any of the songs today, uh, because I have a three-hour parenting seminar that my voice has to make it through later on in the day, and I'm like, okay, it can't sing and preach and do that seminar, so I'm cutting out the singing And of course, every time as we start to praise God, I get drawn in and pretty soon I'm singing at the top of my lungs, uh, pledge failed. First service, second service, pledge failed, you guys. Uh, So a big thank you to the worship team for leading us this morning as we praise God. What's our series called? It's called Jesus Said. What? That's right. And I hope you guys are holding Kenny accountable to say it like that each and every time. What is the series about? The series is about Some of those passages, there are a handful of passages in the gospel where Jesus' teaching is hard to understand. It's challenging for us to figure out what he's saying in those passages. So two weeks ago, we looked at a passage in which Jesus said, if you're going to be my follower, then you need to hate your family, hate your life, hate all your money. And when we looked at what Jesus actually meant, we realized, That's very core to what he's calling us to as his followers. Last week, Pastor Kenny walked us through his passage where we learned that Jesus wants us to live in fear throughout our lives. Now today, we come to a passage in which Jesus says when he came to the earth, he didn't come to bring peace, but to actually bring division among people. And that sounds strange to our ears, right? Because after all, who is it that's the Prince of Peace? Jesus, right? And who is it that told people, blessed are the peacemakers? That's Jesus too, right? And when Jesus was born, the angels declared glory to God in the highest. And what on earth? Peace on earth, right? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, when Jesus came, wasn't it entirely about bringing peace? So then why does Jesus say this? In Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace. Let's read that again. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's not hard. And a person's enemies (laughs) will be those of his own household. Wait, so Jesus says, I I didn't come to bring peace, but in fact, I am a sword that divides people from each other. I'm a little confused. Did, Did Jesus come to bring peace, or didn't he come to bring peace? What's going on here? In order for us to understand whether or not Jesus actually came to bring peace, and the fact that he both came to bring peace and didn't come to bring peace, we need to understand the great conflict that exists within our world. The great conflict. What is the great conflict within our world? It's, it's not Democrats versus Republicans. It's not Vikings versus Packers. It's not even Pastor Kenny versus Pastor Matt in basketball, although that is a big conflict. Right? No, the great conflict is the conflict that arose when rebellion took place against God. God is maker, creator, and center of all things. Everything that was made was made to live for him. Everything that was made was made to point to him and to love like him. But there was a rebellion. There's one in the Bible who is called the adversary or the enemy. And when he chose to rebel, he chose to pay attention to himself instead of pointing to God. He chose to disobey rather than obey. And from that point forward, there are two armies aligned against one another on life's great battlefield. There is this conflict between the side over here that loves God and lives with God at the center and this side over here that is disobedient to God and lives with self as the center. And the Bible teaches us that every person who's ever been born winds up on one of those two sides, either the side of the children of God or the side that is rebelling against God. 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 talks about those two sides. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. There are only two sides in this epic struggle. There is no third army. There is no third side. There are only those who are the children of God, whose life is centered on God, and they're seeking obedience to God. And then there are the children of the devil, or sometimes called the children of the world, who life is about self, and they are disobedient to God. There's only these two sides. And the problem is that ever since Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, be disobedient to him, and live in selfishness instead of pointing to God. All of us have been born onto the wrong side of this conflict. All of us have been born in selfishness and sin, living for self and in disobedience to God. We are born into conflict with God. On the wrong side of the battlefield. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Uh, Apart from Jesus, everyone is a what of God? An enemy of God. We, We were born onto the wrong side of the battlefield, filled with selfishness and sin. We are lined up across from him as his opponent. And this is where it's so important for us, to, uh, for us to understand the greatest way that Jesus came to make peace. We're going to talk about some ways he came to make peace and maybe a way that he came absolutely not to make peace. But the greatest way that he comes to make peace and the one that is most fundamental for us to understand is he came to make peace between us and God. Jesus' coming was to make peace between us and God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus took our sin and our punishment upon himself. And we were credited with his righteousness. And because of that, we now were able to move sides in the battlefield. From the side of sin and selfishness that is opposed to God to the side of God. Filled with a desire to glorify Him and be obedient to Him, not because of our righteousness, but because Jesus' righteousness was credited to us, we can now have peace with God. That's the peace that the angels proclaimed at Jesus' coming. In Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we read, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus didn't come to bring peace to everyone. Jesus came to bring peace to those with whom God is pleased and those who remain on the side of the battlefield that is opposed to God living in sin and selfishness. God is not pleased with them. Isaiah chapter 48 verse 22 says, there is no peace says the Lord for the wicked Jesus came to bring peace, but not to those who are standing on the opposite side of the battlefield. Instead, he only brings peace to those with whom he is pleased. And who is it that God is pleased with? It's those who place their faith in Jesus as their Savior and their King. That is who he is pleased with. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith it is what? Impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. It is faith faith that makes the difference between pleasing God and not pleasing God. It, it is faith in Jesus that makes the difference between being on his side of the battlefield or being opposed to him on the battlefield. That's what makes the difference. And Jesus came in order to make peace with God for those who are on his side of the battlefield. They will join his side. Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for our sins so that we could move from the side of the battlefield that is opposed to God and his enemies with God to the side that is his family, his children that dwell with him. But by coming... And bringing people over to one side of the battlefield with him, God has, in sending Jesus, created division between these two sides. Do you see that? He has called some out of this side that is opposed to God over to his side, and by doing that, he has created two sides. There is now opposition between two sides in this battle. And so we understand while Jesus came to bring peace with God, He also came to divide his children from the children of the devil or the children of the world. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 10. He's saying there are those of you who are going to be my followers, and for you, following me is the thing in life. The children of the world don't share that thing. And so there will be opposition. There won't be unity between you and the world. Because your life is all about me, and their life isn't. There will be division. This is so hard because we live in a world that regularly preaches at us that there should be unity among all of humankind, that we should all just be one big happy family. There was even a a song that played on Christian radio stations a couple of years ago that proclaimed, we all bleed the same, so tell me why we're divided. That, That song's proclamation is, come on, we all have the same blood, we're all a part of humanity, can't we just be one big family? And Jesus says, no, absolutely not. I came as a sword to intentionally divide my people from the people of the world. That's why I came to create a holy or set-apart priesthood of believers who love the children of the world, who are gentle to the children of the world, who never return evil for evil, but always overcome evil with what? Good. But who also never compromise Christ as the center of their life in order to create unity with the world. Jesus never wants his people and the people of the world to compromise and meet in the middle for some sort of oneness. Jesus' design is that his people have been called apart, set apart, and they are to regularly come back and proclaim the gospel so that others will join them in that set-apartness, in that holy priesthood. But they should never compromise living for Christ and speaking about Christ in a way that can provide unity with the world. Jesus says, Noah, I've come, and in my coming and calling out a people for myself, I have created division, and the world is going to hate you if you live rightly for me. As a matter of fact, a couple verses before what I just read, he says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. We're we're making a strong choice for Jesus as the priority in our life. And that is going to create tension and division with the world. And Jesus says, yeah, that's, that's the way I designed it. I didn't design for you guys to compromise and seek to all be one family. I've created you as your own family over here. Which really brings me to my next point because you guys, while Jesus, through his coming, created this division, between his children and the children of the world, or the children of Satan, as they're called in 1 John 3, he also within that in his coming has created total peace and total unity within his people. That is his design. That his people would have total peace and total unity with each other. Not with the world, but with each other. It's really difficult to live in peace and unity with other people? Because we live in a world where people are not at peace with God. Uh, And so people are regularly in conflict with each other. One of my favorite stories about this is about a guy named Lee McFatter. Lee took his young daughter to meet the cookie monster at a Sesame Street show. Anyone ever done that? When Cookie Monster hurried away at the end of the show without posing for a picture with Lee's daughter, Lee got himself arrested for assaulting the furry blue Cookie Monster. Police said Lee shoved and kicked the employee inside the costume. 21-year-old Jenny McNellis suffered bruised ribs and a cervical sprain when Lee shoved her to the ground and then kicked her repeatedly in the head and back. Apparently for Lee, C is for crazy. And crazy is for him. Millions have died in wars over the last century. Half of marriages end in divorce. One in four girls is abused in the home that they grow up in. One need only look at the Twin Cities over the course of the last year to see how the lack of peace with God creates enmity between us as a people. It is hard for us to have peace and unity with each other. And yet... When, God cre- or when Jesus creates peace with God through his saving work, he creates a family and a people for himself who are indwelt by his Holy Spirit. And one of the markers of that community is they begin to enjoy a unity, a peace, and a oneness among them. Look through the New Testament and just see the number of commands and encouragements to be of one mind to be united as a body, to be a people who are at peace with each other here within the Christian community. How in the world does God's Spirit produce unity and peace among us when we are so very different? Over here, among God's family, we are very different people in a lot of different ways, aren't we? I started writing down things. We have different priorities about work. We have different political affiliations. We raise our children differently. We handle our finances differently. We prefer different kinds of music. We come from different kinds of backgrounds, nationalities, races. How can God produce peace and unity with all of these differences, you guys? The answer is this. Because God's spirit comes and dwells within us and focuses our hearts and minds on one big major pursuit in life and everything else in life becomes minor and fades into the background by comparison. That's how he does it. How can we live in peace and unity even though we're very different people? Because God calls a group of people together who are so thoroughly committed to him that we live for one big major in our lives and everything else is minor by comparison. And what is that major? To know Jesus and make him known. That's that's the one big major. To know Jesus and make him known. And when that is absolutely central in our hearts and in our minds, everything else becomes minor and fades into the background by comparison. When I started dating Erica in high school, uh, there was a deep infatuation that took place. And she became the single pursuit of my life for a while. Right? So that... Even though I had a lot of other things going on in my life, school and grades and college choices and football games, all of that stuff faded into the background. And the only thing that mattered was getting to know Erica. So much so that I, I remember staying up really late one night, talking to her on the phone before a big football game the next day. Why would I do that? Right, I, I do that because... Everything else kind of faded into the background during that season of my life. All that mattered was getting to know Erica. Now, now that's not healthy because Erica's not God. You, you can tell her I said that. Yeah, yeah. But just so you're aware, God is God. And so it is very healthy when he is that single pursuit that consumes everything. When we, like Paul, can recognize knowing Christ and making him known is the major in life, and everything else is, as he would say, rubbish by comparison, unimportant, a minor that fades into the background. I love the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it in his book, Life Together. Bonhoeffer was uh, killed uh, by Hitler during World War II. He was a pastor during that time. And his book, Life Together, is a great work about the community that we have in Christ. And he says there, the more genuine and deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede the more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. That's right. When when the Holy Spirit is really at work among a people, knowing Christ and making him known, that's so central that everything else becomes unimportant by comparison. When we see periods in which the church is fighting with the church. These are periods of time in which the things of Satan have invaded the children of God. Sometimes periods of time in which the children of the world have invaded the children of God. I'm thinking of Protestants and Catholics fighting for centuries in Europe. I'm thinking of a church that I am aware of that split the church over the color of carpet that they were about to install. I think of divisions that we experience within the church right now based on backgrounds or, or based on race or based on politics. That is when these kinds of things that are minor invade and become majors instead of the one thing that is supposed to become major being the major. Knowing Christ and making him known. When, when God's spirit comes to work in us, there is not division, not because we're not different but because those differences become unimportant in light of the one great unifying factor in our lives, that we love Jesus and we want to share him with everyone. Peace with God produces peace among his children, you guys. So so Jesus came to make peace between us and God. And when he came to make peace between us and God, that created division between those who are his children and those who aren't his children. But Jesus came to make peace among those who are his children. The last thing I want to share with you before I start talking at you today is one more way that Jesus comes in order to make peace. And that is that Jesus came to make peace within you. He came to give you peace within you, in your heart. We have that great conflict going on inside of us. Anyone recognize that conflict and the battle that takes place in us? And that conflict is made evident through anxiety, worry, insecurity. I'm not not the only one who battles with these things, right? That, That conflict taking place within us robs us of peace and brings us to places of anxiety and insecurity instead. But when Jesus comes into our life, when we bow the knee to him, his spirit comes and begins to produce peace in us it It grows as we grow in our relationship with Christ. Does he produce peace in us because he makes all of our circumstances around us peaceful? Has that been your experience? No, nor is that his promise. Jesus says in John sixteen Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered. Each one to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says to his followers, as long as you're in this world, you're going to have tribulation, you're going to have challenges, you're going to have storms in this life. And yet, if you're my follower, you can have peace, even in the midst of that. Not because Jesus overcomes all of the circumstances in our life that are challenging or troubling, but because Jesus totally changes our perspective. That's how Jesus produces peace, even as the world is swirling around us by completely and totally changing our perspective. He changes, for example, our perspective about eternity. 1 John 4, 17 and 18 says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also are we in the world. There is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There are people over the years who have abused this verse, taken a little section out and said, hey, if you've got any fear in your life, then you don't know Jesus. Because perfect love casts out fear, and if you know Jesus, you're not going to have any fear. So when somebody jumps out from behind a corner in a dark area and says, boo, and you get scared... Does that mean you don't know Jesus? Right. If you're afraid of spiders, does that mean you don't know Jesus? That's not what this verse is talking about. Right? Those are fine fears. Right? The fear that Jesus drives out is a fear related to what? Judgment. That's the fear that's being addressed here. It's very clear in this context. It's a fear of judgment. The world has a fear related to what happens when we die. So much so that we spend huge amounts of our life trying to keep ourselves busy and entertain ourselves so that we don't have to think about what happens to us when we die. And yet when we pause and think about it, there's worry, there's anxiety. What does happen when we die? For the believer in Jesus Christ, they've placed their faith in Jesus in a way that gives them assurance that the greatest things they will ever experience are going to be theirs when they die. And so when they approach dying, they don't approach it and worry about God's punishment or judgment. Instead, they recognize, I have God's blessing awaiting me. It totally changes our perspective about eternity, and it moves us from fear, anxiety, to peace. He also shifts our perspective about happiness. The world's way of attaining happiness is to reach the next level of success or to gain enough stuff so that I can have a wonderful and comfortable life. And then I will be happy somewhere at the next level. There is happiness and I got to get there, which produces a fair amount of worry and anxiety in our lives about whether or not we're going to be able to get there. And then if I do get there, am I going to be able to stay there and maintain it? There is all kinds of anxiety and worry related to trying to climb the ladder to happiness. And Jesus says, my people get off of that ladder altogether. They have a single focus. That's my kingdom and living for me and recognize I'll provide whatever is needed in their life. Jesus says in Matthew 6, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus says, get off of that ladder. That ladder of trying to get a little more, the next level in order to gain happiness. There is nothing but anxiety and worry on that ladder. Instead, devote your life entirely to what? me and to my kingdom and recognize I will provide anything that you need. That genuine happiness and contentment isn't attained in whatever that next level is. Genuine happiness and contentment comes from deeper and deeper intimacy with me. So that you can say along with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you. In that relationship with Christ, there's happiness, there's contentment, right? He shifts our perspective about happiness, moving us from anxiety to peace. And finally, he shifts our perspective through prayer. Through prayer. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How does prayer battle anxiety and bring peace in our lives? Because as we pray, Jesus just gives us whatever we want? No, that's not the way that prayer alleviates anxiety and brings peace for us. How does prayer eliminate anxiety and bring about peace? By changing our perspective. It's through prayer that God changes our perspective about all of these things. It's prayer that reminds me that God is in control. When my kids were little, they'd jump in the car. They never had any sense of anxiety about where we were going or whether or not we were going to get there. They just trusted the one who was driving was going to take care of it. As adults, so often, we're trying to figure out, okay, where's my life going? Can I get my life there? How do I get to this particular place? And it's in prayer that God reminds us, hey, I'm the one who's driving. I'll provide for you. I'm the one who's in control. It's also in prayer that we're reminded that God has provided for us thus far. Did you notice that our prayer is to be with thanksgiving? Why? Because it's when we spend time thanking God that we are reminded of all the ways that he has provided for us thus far. And if he has provided all we need thus far, certainly he will give us all that we need for the future. So he says, you're battling anxiety? Okay, go to thanks. Go to thanksgiving and live your life in thanksgiving. Spend time thanking me. It's a wonderful reminder. He's our provider. He's provided for us thus far. He'll provide for us into the future. And finally, prayer reminds me of God's priorities. So much of the anxiety and worry that I face in this life is because I'm worried that I'll be put in an uncomfortable situation. And it's only in prayer that God reminds me that my comfort isn't his priority. My righteousness is. And he prepares me to go through whatever it is that I need to go through. Because his call on my life isn't that I'll be comfortable or that things will be easy. His call on my life is that I'd be righteous and become like Christ. And sometimes an intense amount of discomfort is necessary in order for that to happen in my life. He shifts our perspectives through prayer. If we're in a place of anxiety, worry, insecurity, God calls us to pray. Uh, Not pray once and, well, okay, it didn't work. Now I'm back to some more anxiety and worry. No, no. As long as there is anxiety and worry, God's remedy for that is prayer. If you're anxious and worried for two hours, pray for two hours. If you're anxious and worried for three weeks, devote yourself to prayer for three weeks. Whatever it takes, whenever there is anxiety and worry that we're dealing with in our feelings, the action that God calls us to in that situation is prayer in order to impact that. Again, not because he's going to change all of our circumstances and give us whatever we want, because he's going to change our perspective through prayer. That only happens through prayerful time in the Word of God. Spending time with Jesus, he changes our perspective. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus declares, I didn't come here to bring peace, I came here to bring a sword. And that sounds strange to our ears, but we recognize within that context what Jesus means is, in my coming, I am creating division between my children and the children of the world. But we also recognize that while he creates division in doing that, he also declares throughout his word, he's come to make peace between God and his children. He's come to make total unity and oneness among his children despite their many differences, and he has come to bring peace into our lives through the power of his Holy Spirit. Do you have that peace? In Luke chapter 2, when Jesus came, the angels declared, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth towards those with whom he is pleased. Do you have that peace of one with whom God is pleased? Because he's pleased with those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Faith to be our Savior. Faith to be our Lord and our King. Last week we had 12 people step into the waters of baptism and declare, yes, I have that faith and I want everybody to know about it. I have that faith in Jesus that he's my Savior, that he is my King, and I want to let everybody know that that is true. And maybe God's call in your life is to take that step yourself. Maybe you were here and you watched that. Maybe you missed last Sunday, and so you missed that opportunity. We got more opportunities coming up. And on that Connect card that Joel talked about, there is a little area where you can mark baptism. And We'd love to connect with you about that, about faith in Jesus and how we proclaim that in baptism according to God so that you can be one of those who has proclaimed your faith in Jesus and recognized, he's pleased with me. And so I am at peace. And so I am at peace. Would you guys pray with me? We're going to enter into a time of expressing our love for God through offering, expressing our love for God through praising his name in song. Father, we're so grateful for your goodness, the sending of your son in order to make peace so that we might move to the other side of the battlefield and be a part of your family, a part of your team. Lord, we ask that you might continue to build unity among us as the thing that matters is knowing you and making you known. Lord, continue to build peace within us as we trust in you in all things and seek after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.